0: Audible Originals presents DJ Dramas Gangster Grills Podcast. The following contains language and content some may find offensive.
1: Those first three projects, G's Up, Trapper Die, Thug Motivation, I had no idea if I was going to be around or free or not. So I put my heart, my soul, and every truth in there because all right, this is my theory. If it just so happened and I don't get through this, at least I'm going to have this.
0: The streets. I think we accomplished that. Tell him to holler at me. I've been on fire recently. Snowman, holler at me. Yeah, that talk, baby. <laughs> Gangsta Grills, you bastard. Welcome to the Gangsta Grills podcast. It's yours truly, the one and only Mr. Thanksgiving, a.k.a. DJ Drama. And on this episode, we've got the snowman himself mister Seventeen Five, Jeezy, let's get into it. I feel like before me, mixtape DJs just did a lot of like shout outs and, you know, like shout the one, two, fifth street or shout, shout my man Jay or whatever. And then because you was motivating the thugs and you was motivating the niggas in the streets. It was like, I had to almost, in a sense, I felt like maybe, maybe match that energy. And like, yeah, you know, talk that talk, and and yeah, and you pushed me in a lot of ways to do that. No, nah, because I I knew personally,
1: like you know, you definitely had the voice and the delivery, right? And for me, I just knew how big mixtapes was, coming from being in like Florida, hustling down there when I was younger, and when I started hearing the gangster grills, I got that same feeling. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? Because if you ain't on this. you you ain't popping, (laughs) you know (laughs) what I'm saying? So the name itself is, it's catchy, it's solid. You want to be a part of that, right? And my whole thing was, I just want to pass on inspiration, like motivation. So when I came around, like, and we started doing projects or whatever, like I wanted to be able to tell you, like, no, we got to go harder. You (laughs) know what I mean? No matter how hard that shit was, (laughs) I'm going to be in there with you. We got to bring it back. You know, we got to bring the record back five times instead of two, because I just want that extra um. But um, even Streets is Watching, that's what made it classic.
0: The Streets is Watching, Jeezy and I's first mixtape collaboration, was released in 2004 and featured giants like Bun B, Jazzy Faye, and Trick Daddy. We followed that up in early 2005 when another Gangsta girl taped. Trap or Die, which helped drive momentum for Jeezy's multi-platinum Def Jam debut, Thug Motivation 101. That summer, he followed that up in 2006 with another Gangster Girls tape, Can't Ban the Snowman. Four certified classics in three years. The collaborative
1: effort. You know, it wasn't just like I turned the music in and just came back and got the tape. Like, we talked consistently about mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what it, you know, should look like, feel like. And uh, we had a lot of conversations to make a masterpiece. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? The best decision I ever made was to put my music out using the Gangsta Grills platform for free. I'm glad best you did best that. Best decision
0: I ever made, bro. And the best decision you ever made turned into a great, great opportunity for me because it definitely so, changed my life. For sure. So. At that period in time, the majority of what people knew as mixtapes was an artist taking other people's beats right. and rapping over them. But why did you choose to, instead of doing freestyles on other people's beats, put out all your original music? Mm, um, Can't Be in the Snowman was
1: like one of the pivotal times where like I didn't have time to go get beach produced. Mm. So I had to, I called Shakir Stewart and he had Hitco Studios. I was like, I need someone to work, I can be by myself. And I just had my guy pull up all these instrumentals uh, on the internet and I just grabbed the ones I liked because I wanted to do this, can't ban the snowman in about three, four days. Mm-hmm. I think I knocked it out in four and a half. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because I had to get it off my chest now and I didn't have the time to set it up. So time was of the essence then. So in the beginning with like G's Up, it was more like you got your whole life to make your first album, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, I was learning the craft, but I was so in love with the music that I was making and I was buying and paying for everything. So it was mine, Mm -hmm. right? So I didn't mind giving it away because I felt like if I got a record or if I got a buzz, it was worth whatever I paid uh, for the beats. So that was just my mindset going into, and I was like, yo, if I can build or get some momentum off this to go get a deal, because that was the whole thing. I was just like, I got to do something that's going to set me up and put me in a legitimate place where I can live my life and not feel you know, like it can go down any day. So that was my, my, my thought process. So I had the time to sit there and stay in the studio because it was my sanctuary and make these records. So I was very, like, proud of that shit. Like, I wanted people to hear, like, I'm making music. Like, you know, you're a street guy. All of a sudden, you're making music with Jazzy Faye. Right. You're a street guy. All of a sudden, you're making music with Lil John. You're a street guy. All of a sudden, you're making music with the people that got all the hits. And I wanted people to see that. And that's why I used the original music. And then there was not a lot of things that was going on around that time that inspired me musically. I'm a Mm. big Tupac fan. Mm. It wasn't really nothing that I was just on. Mm. So I just wanted to make it in the great words of Andre 3000. If you want to hear something, make Make it, Mm. (laughs) you know what I'm saying? I wanted to hear that, so I was making that.
0: And there's a transition in your style between Come Shop With Me, Correct, was an earlier album. Before Side of the Def Jam, Jeezy released two albums, Thuggin' Under the Influence in 2001 under the rap name Lil J, and Come Shop With Me in 2003. After the disappointing performances of those two projects, Jeezy hit the mixtape circuit, and the rest is history. Come Shop With Me
1: was, I was hanging out with some guys in Florida, you know, but when I got back to Georgia, I'm like, oh, everything was so different because everything was crunk, or everything is so fast, you know what I'm saying? So it was just like, I wanted to slow it down so they could hear what I was saying, and I wanted to, You know, make my delivery, like, edgy, but at the same time, like, you know, just calculated, you know what I mean? With the ad-libs and you just, you know, you just slow talking and walking, you know what I'm saying? And the fear was that, like, you weren't going to get no radio play and they definitely weren't going to play it in the club. It was too slow. Mm -hmm. And it was the exact opposite. Once we got it popping. 100%. You know what I'm saying? It was like... I walk in those clubs. Yeah. I might hear about forty gangster grill drops. Uh-huh. They playing the whole project they had no choice right you know what i'm saying like from beginning to the end and then yeah. started back over and and i'm in the club and i'm watching people like over time just like word for word they listen to it in the club they're listening to it in the car they yeah. listen to it when they get home mm-hmm. and these are all physical cds all this is physical not cds yep. this is not streams this is not none of that like you had to have a copy mm-hmm. you know? when i'm out now and i'm moving around these cities and these people come up to me original copies of Trapper, Mm Die Design. Mm -hmm. Original copy of G's Up, it don't even have the plastic case, Mm -hmm. it just got the sleeve, Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? I'm like, damn, man, like, you know, we really, really made some history. And I even feel like now, it ain't just records, it was a movement. So it was was, was a time capsule. It's
0: bigger than records.
1: Everybody in that time capsule was trying to figure their life out. Yeah. And that was their church. I was their T.D. Jakes at the time. Absolutely. You feel what I'm saying? I was telling them, there's another way, we got to figure this out. And they did. So now when they listen to it, you know, that's that music to take you back to yeah, that, that place. The
0: music touches them in yeah. a different way. And that's what's dope like even when we did Snowfall, when they hear the music, when they hear the bells and the whistles wow. and that feel that 20 years later, Snowfall gives them that trap feel.
1: I mean, even for myself, it's just like as soon as I was thinking Snowfall and I was just like, yo, I got to reach out to drum because I need that feeling. Real and shit. even for me, it was just like when it came out, I got calls from people I ain't got calls from in years. <laughs> like, yo, this is crazy, but it's that feel. Mm-hmm. To me, it's like, you know, I love this shit. So, I, you know, it, it stopped being about the money for me a long time ago, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? And, and it's like, I love I love to be able to connect with real people who want real things in life and y'all, y'all got to understand it through the music. When you do albums, th- th- there's so much expectations there. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's just so much, you know, you got to have the radio, right? You got to dance. And you gotta, it's just like when we do what we do. Mm-hmm. It's just fun, bro. Mm-hmm. Like It's like going back to the trenches and just kicking it for a day and just you know, getting that love and, and, and just embodying who and, and, and what you really are. That's the type of music that we make, and that's why people love it mm-hmm. because there's no label, there's no producers, there's no <laughs> entities that can put
0: together that magic, bro. That's real. That's crazy. When did you know that you was onto something with your ad-libs? Rick Ross has his signature grunt. Lil Wayne has his famous lighter flick. And Jeezy has his ad-libs. Gangsta Grizz, you bastard. It wouldn't be a Jeezy track without him. (laughs) Dramatic nickel.
1: Mm, The true story is, like, I was trying to develop my way of doing things. What made me unique when I first started to figure out my delivery was... The fact that me and Shorty Red had got really tight. And I used to always tell him, like, I don't want the, like, 808s he was giving everybody else. Like, okay. the double ups. I was like, just slow it down and, like, like let me give, give me, like, a space where I can say something and stop and pause and give myself some props. I knew then that they were special because I know how I felt when I was actually putting the ad libs down and I was stacking my vocals the way that I know how to stack them. And we was recording in the basement with no uh, vocal booth. It was just like him and his board and and a mic just like this. Mm -hmm. And it just made it so raw, Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? I used to walk, he had like a bathroom right here and why why he, he would be making the beats. I be standing in the mirror in the bathroom, like you know, wrapping myself up. Mm-hmm. Be like, I'm like, I am ready, and I come in there and I, I put a couple bars down and I walk away and I think about what I'm gonna say in between. I didn't know there was ad libs, mm. you know what I'm saying? Mm. I didn't, I, you know, what I mean, mm-hmm. I had no idea that's what they was gonna call them. And then when you put the song together, right? Yeah, and you sit back and listen to it, it's undeniable. Mm-hmm. So when I really realized that I had some was when I first started to go get back out at the trap or die. When I would be in the clubs, people would actually recite the ad-libs. Mm. And that's when I was like, oh, mm. okay, this this is real. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is, I, I got something. And, and from there on, I just made it my business to, like, ad-lib it up. I didn't care, you know what I'm saying? Like, whatever it was, I was going to put my signature ad-libs on it. And it dawned on me, like, Streets is Watching just sounded more like who and where I was at. Street watchers was right before them boys. Right before them boys. And then uh, I think shortly after that was Trapper Die. So all that time is when I started to make that transition mm-hmm. into a space of becoming like a real artist and understanding that like, I had what they call momentum, mm-hmm. right? So I'm just coming up with all these marketing strategies, what they call them, but I didn't know it then, mm-hmm. but I was just trying to figure out how to market myself. And I think around the time where I really figured it out was when I did The Snowman chain. Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. And then it's around the time that I got my deal with Def Jam. I was in there and we was like, they gotta come up with something for marketing. And shout out to Ashana Ayers. And she was just like, what is that around your neck? I was like, it's a snowman. She's like, well that's it. You know what I'm saying? So then we pressed up the shirts. And before Snowman was even a nickname. Right. Gotcha. But I remember though, because I get a call from Tip one day. He called me. He's like, you know, that snowman, is, that's great marketing. And I'm like, nah, that's, that's me. That's who I am. He's like, I know, but that's great marketing. I'm telling you, that's a great way to market yourself. And I was just like, damn, okay. So I got music in the street.
0: I got marketing going on. I'm a part of a group, and I just got a record deal. Uh-huh. By the way, like, the same way you, you got resistance on how you was putting music, I was getting resistance on how I was approaching gangster Girls, because people was like, look, niggas don't want to hear all that talking and exclusives right. and freestyles, like, that's not what they want to hear, because, you know, they were used to a, a certain style. And then another thing, too, is, like, as big as me and Tips down with The King was, Streets Was Watching did uh, so much for gangster Girls, and right. I... I really want to thank you for not even putting that music out without wow, me. Right. Like, you know, my personal take on it
1: is, like, you can't redo the magic, yeah. right? When I gave Thug Motivation and Leslie the mix, right, when he brought it back to me, it was better than I dropped it off. Mm-hmm. That was our magic. Mm-hmm. He made me sound bigger, better. When I drop my music off to you, I'm waiting for that moment when you give it back to me. Mm-hmm that I get goosebumps. You feel what I'm saying? Because of what you're saying and how you're bringing it back and how you delivering your words and your cadences. That's the magic. You can never undo that. Mm-hmm. And then your sequence game was mm-hmm. mean. Because <laughs> now I want to be surprised. I'm giving you the bag. You know what I'm saying? Then you give it back to me. I get to get in the car, I get to press play, and I get to ride around and be a fan. You know what I'm saying? I get to ride around and like listen to this new Jeezy. It, it was like we was Batman and Robin in Absolutely. the ass. You know what I'm saying? It was like a it was a do du- it was a Absolutely. dynamic duo. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. it's like, so that's what made it great. And and I remember um when Trapper Die came out, I was in my beam, I was riding through the fourth mm-hmm. ward. And I pulled up at the I think it was the Amoco over there yep. on the corner. And man, it was like so many people in the parking lot just playing and listening to it and looking at the cover and talking about the DVD. And it was like, yo, this
0: shit is great. They got to think this crazy. is not an album, but right, this is not an album. So let's, <laughs> let's even put it in perspective right. because <laughs> trap or die is the first, the first ever mixtape with a release date. Right. Before trap or die, that concept of a release date for a mixtape right. didn't exist. Right. Like, I think people really need to understand how groundbreaking it was. And even from the the DVD, it was the first mixtape that had a DVD. DVD, So Trapper Die was a lot of firsts for a lot of things within the mixtape world. And, you know, it was an extreme game changer. It was a classic. Probably one of the best mixtapes
1: ever put together. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Like everything that we do, you got to have your why. Mm-hmm. You know, my why in the beginning is I didn't want to get caught up in what I had going on. But then when I started to understand, like, that was my mission in life, to to motivate and inspire. Like, that's my mission statement. They're not going to give this to you, so you got to go out here and do whatever it is you know how to do to figure it out. Even the talking, um, the intro on Trapper Die. It still gets me Oh, chills. my God, bro. You feel me? It's like, you know, sometimes I can't even believe I wrote that shit. You know what <laughs> <laughs> I Because it's like it was coming from such a hungry place. And, and and the why was I got to put myself in position that I could take care of my family, give my mom a spot, a
0: house, and get out of the situation I'm in. That was my why. With Trap or Die and then with Them Boys, outside of you becoming the hottest thing in the streets, you also became your favorite rapper's favorite rapper. Them boys was different because this is like the first time
1: me being in somebody else's comfort zone. Gotcha. So they was already working over there. When I got called over there by um, Kim, God bless her soul, which is uh, Kim Porter, Mm. which is uh, Puff's kid's mother. Mm. Kim called you to come over there. Yeah, Kim called me to come over there Mm. and um, I'm over there with him a day or two. And then they like, yo, we got this record. I go in, you know, everybody write their verses. You know what I'm saying? They quick, they like 10, 15 minutes, they record. So it take me a while because I'm not used to this surrounding. Mm-hmm. So it take me like two hours and I don't know the engineer, so he doesn't know the way I record. So now I got to explain him how I record. So that takes another hour. So anyway, you know, everybody probably running around like this is the guy y'all want in the group. It's like he taking forever, you know what I'm saying? And um, <laughs> <laughs> right. so then, you know, I, 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 uh, I drop my verse and then I go in the hallway and I tell him to press play. So I could hear it outside on the big speakers.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: By the time that if it's taking too long to lock up, bring, bring it, it back. back, everybody was in the studio, <laughs> losing it, going crazy. <laughs> and this is around the time that you know Streets is watching. I was like, "Damn! Like this is probably one of the hardest verses I of did Point. to this date." Yeah. Okay. How does this work? <laughs> I've never been a part of a group before. Right.
0: So that literally was the formation of the group. Right. Was that record? That record. Okay. Around this time, they sent the record to Puff. Right. Yeah.
1: Puff started calling my phone on like a Sunday evening. Uh, yo, we gotta get this done. I'm like, yo, man. So he calls me the next day, all day. So he calls me later on that night. I'm walking to Magic City. He's like, yo, we gotta get the deal done, baby. Go to Kinko's, get the contract signed, and send me back. I was like, nigga, I'm walking to Magic City. We'll deal with this shit later on. You know what I'm saying? So I sent out with Puff and I him, I said, Yo, man, look, like, I do one album. You know what I'm saying? I definitely want to be a part of this. So at the time I had just signed the Def Jam. And um, it just so happened Kevin Lyles and them signed me over there, but Kevin left two weeks after he signed me. And went to Atlantic. He went to Atlantic. Yeah. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, damn, Kevin was my man. Yeah. And um, one day I'm walking the Def Jam building and I'm walking in. I see this Maybach sitting out there and the door opens. I see him get out I'm like, damn. So it's Jay-Z. Uh-huh. I walk over to the desk like, jay mm-hmm. what's up? Him up. He's like, come on, come upstairs with me. So we walk upstairs, we talking or whatever. He said, by the way, I'm the new president. I was like, where? You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, oh, shit, I lost a cab, I got Jay-Z. So now my mind is, you know what I'm saying, going. So I say, yo, Jay, uh, I'm gonna holler Ellie Reed. I'm puffing me to be a part of this group, but I'm gonna just do one album.
0: Kevin, Puff, Jay, L.A. Reid. In case you're losing track, Jeezy was part of the rap group Boys in the Hood, which was signed to Bad Boy, Diddy, a.k.a. Puff Daddy's record label. But as a solo act, Jeezy was signed to Def Jam, and Kevin Lyles was the president of Def Jam when Jeezy signed. L.A. Reid was the chairman of Island Def Jam. After Kevin Lyles left Def Jam, Jay-Z became the new president. Okay, back to Jeezy.
1: But what I'm thinking is, if my album coming out July da-da-da-da, we will push my album to July 26th, mm-hmm. and then we'll drop the Boys in the Hood album like two or three weeks before mine. i use it for promotion. Mm-hmm. That was my plan. He's like, I love it. It's genius. So the fact that Jay and L.A. and Puffton was cool, I was able to pull that deal. I actually negotiated that deal myself. Gotcha. Right. And all that went with the momentum because now you got the mixtapes out. Mm-hmm. I got two to the good. I just got a record deal, and now I'm signing a group deal with Puff. All that's happening in like a, you know, like a six, seven, eight months, man. And I'm finishing up Thug Motivation. Mm -hmm. However, Thugging, not really taking care of myself, you know, just doing all this shit. And then I get polyps on my vocal cords. Mm -hmm. Now I can't talk.
0: Jeezy joins an elite group of entertainers that have had vocal surgery. Adele, Nicki Minaj, and me. It's indicative of where the industry is gone. Entertainers are more reliant on touring and live performances because of the decline of album sales, not to mention the partying that goes with it.
1: So I got all the stuff in the pipeline, all the ex coach all these shows lines up, like millions, millions of shows, and I can't. You can't talk because you vocal cords. Yep. When that happened, had you already finished Thug Motivation? I was about 80% done with it and we was mixing what I had. Uh-huh. And that was a scary time for you. Oh, yeah, because the whole thing was I didn't know if my voice was— Well, I didn't know if I was going to be able to talk for one because I couldn't talk, so I had to get surgery. And when I got surgery, I didn't have insurance, so I had to pay for it in a brown paper bag. Uh And you didn't know if you would sound the same. I wouldn't know if I would sound the same. And that was the whole thing. Like, Mm -hmm. I I was really—because my voice is already naturally, Mm -hmm. like, raspy. I I just didn't know. Mm -hmm. And then in my mind, I was just like, damn, like— You know, I'm I'm a true believer in God, man. I'm just like, I know he didn't bring me this far just for me to get this far. And right around that time, I got, I was finishing up the album. An intern from the studio I was working at, Pat's Work, Uh leaked the whole album. Yep. So all this happened in like nine months. Mm -hmm. So Thug Motivation 101 is out. I can't talk. I'm, not, I'm dodging the label. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? All this is happening. I'm like stressed, mm-hmm. bro. Like, I'm like... When you, I'm say like
0: th- when you say it's out, you mean it's out on the streets. Yeah, it leaked. It's hard to imagine, but there was a time before streaming when people bought CDs, these circular discs that had to be pressed and shipped. Today, you can finish an album at 11 and release it at midnight. But in the older days, you needed a lot of lead time to drop a project especially as a new artist. And that meant a lot of time for an album to leak, something that could ruin sales.
1: Yeah. So, Looking but, back um, on it, it probably helped. One million percent. This how it helped. By the time we started doing the promotion for the album, people had already had their favorites off of there because mm-hmm. it was already out. Mm-hmm. People were saying that it was classic, that it was solid, that it was best thing they heard. So I already had solidified my spot and didn't realize that it was the bootleggers that was doing that for mm-hmm. me. My goal was accomplished, right? Mm-hmm. That was becoming and getting where I'm at today. But the reality of it is I wanted people to eat too. Mm-hmm. So I didn't feel no way about people eating off what I was doing as long as we was had this synergy going together because a lot of that went on in the beginning. It wasn't about the money. Uh, I was just happy to be on. I didn't, you know what I'm saying? Like, I, didn't, I wouldn't even calculate it like that. I was like, shit, my money was in duffel bags. I was like, shit, I was just happy to be getting some spin and going into clubs and people know who I was. And that's this. That was my mission. So the reality of it, which was bigger than the music, we was helping people eat. Mm-hmm. And we didn't even realize that. That's where the Thanksgiving came
0: from. the strippers was eating, mm-hmm. the clubs was eating, like everybody was eating Was there ever a hesitation for you? Because, like, the things that you were saying on record hadn't really been said before. Right. So it was almost like you were putting this info out in a poetic way. Right. You were telling stories that we didn't have before. Right. And it's like, you know, it's it's a fine line sometimes. I was under the impression that everybody was doing
1: what they were saying, right? So for me, it was like, I'm going to represent what I believe to the fullest. So I'm going to be as true, as real, as transparent, because to me, it was my story. And it was times where I was kind of like, well, I am I, like, you know, Am I saying too much? Uh-huh. Like, You know what I'm saying? But then, again, timing. Internet wasn't like it is now. Uh-huh. Things ain't going on. Because like, when they get these young cats in the courtroom, they're trying to use their lyrics against them. I just think about shit. If <laughs> <laughs> they
0: ever try to use
1: my lyrics against me, they probably gave me like 10 consecutive life sentences. You feel me? With an with a extra dub. You know what I mean? Because last year was real. Those first three projects, G's Up, Trap or Die, Thug Motivation. I had no idea if I was gonna be around or free or not. So I put my heart, my soul, and every truth in there because I, this is my theory. If it just so happened and I don't get through this, at least I'm gonna have, have this. Us.
0: Man, that was mine. Yeah, yeah. Jay Z, when he came as the president of Def Jam, was he always on board and a supporter or did it take some convincing? I think it was meant to be, bro. Like,
1: from the first time me and Hov ever, like, connected and chopped it up, we just saw really eye to eye. For me, it just felt right to have somebody to spar with about things that I was thinking or things that I knew. Because it wasn't just like it was one-sided. He would ask me shit, too. You know, it was a different type of um, partnership because it ain't like we just stopped there. We went on tour together. You know, we, I, like I said, I, I got more records with with Jay than Big, biggest Smalls. Smalls. And the whole time, we wasn't even talking music. We're talking life. The songs just happen. You know what I'm saying? I never call him and be like, yo, I'm at the studio, pull up. it well, would be like more like, yo, man, can you believe this shit? Like, we'll sit there in the club or something, just drinking, talking about life shit. And then I might just pull up on him, He might be in the studio or something, and we might just get one in. If you had to rate shit, top three with Hov. Top three songs? Yeah, with him. Go Crazy, number one. Put on Remix, and... Hold on, Go Crazy, Put on Remix, and Seen It All.
0: Cool. Yeah. Said so, My President is Black would be next, or...? Yeah, okay. Next, yeah. So I want to touch on the raid a little bit when I got locked up. January 16th, 2007. I stepped out the studio to be surrounded by police cars, SUVs, SWAT helicopters... <laughs> You name it. And for what? Bootlegging and racketeering on a Rico charge? Rico? Man, they took everything equipment, computers, hard drives, CDs, except the drugs and the guns that they were asking for that were never there. And then you realize this was during a time the record labels were selling less CDs and were competing with Napster and LimeWire out there. It was just easier to target us. Now you understand the gangster and Gangsta Grylls. Gangsta, gangsta When you saw that and seeing all your CDs on TV and right. confiscating it and, like, me getting hit with the Rico, what, what was your thoughts? My
1: first thoughts was... <laughs> I told you that when I saw your birthday bags, I was like, man, y'all went from driving Hondas and shit to Maseratis and Benzes and like, that shit was like, boom. I knew something was up. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It was like, boom. Um, But again, to be a pioneer, to be a leader, you got to take some type of chances. But a C-cannon in the handcuffs, I was
0: just just like,
1: Whoa. (laughs) You know, you guys, you guys were doing it in a major way, meaning that, you know, you caught the eyes of, you know, the federal government for, for that matter. But it just, it just solidified what we was doing. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? On the level that we was doing it, that they, they would even get involved in that. That's crazy. But look, man, I, I feel like this, bro. In the beginning, we none of us really knew the business. Yeah. All of us was trying to figure it out. Everybody was trying to make money. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like full circle. And if you look at where we at now, both successful, we don't really need anything from each other, For sure. But we, we grew together. So that's what makes it dope. We can come to each other and be like, yo, I'm working on my album. You know what I'm saying? Boom, I, I got a, I got a record, I got a verse, I got this, I got that. Right, you know. And I love that because we came from nothing. Yeah, And we both have a, a lot to do with each other's success as and far as like I'll, how I'll, we I'll, came in the game. I wouldn't be you know here if it wasn't for you. Yeah, likewise. Yeah. And and, and, I, and I love that. And, and, and like, it's cool that we can sit back and just like laugh about <laughs> shit, you know what I'm mean? saying? But it, it's crazy because just like shit, niggas went to jail, niggas went this. Like, it was so much shit that yeah. was going on like in one period of time. But look, we came out on time, bro.
0: Um, do you have a favorite gangster grills outside of us? Outside of us? Yeah. I
1: mean, recent I've been I ain't came front I've been I've been fucking with Vezo shit. Yeah, Vezo so. shit's hard. Yeah. Kansas <laughs> City, um, old I would say. I love Fab joints and I loved uh, Wayne's.
0: Okay, Wayne's tape, yeah. That's always the conversation. What's the right. better, Gangster Grills, right? Die. or Die or dedication? Dedication too. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, it depends. You Wayne or Jeezy fan? Like you can't ask a Jeezy fan that. He'll <laughs> <Not yet. laughs> be like, "Are you crazy?" Yeah. This is how I look at it, and, and, and I love Wayne. I look at it like this, man. I grew up on Wayne. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? I grew up like Wayne was a hot boy. Like that was the shit I was on. I wanted two Rolexes, the bubble eye Lexus and all that. So to see him sustain uh, his position in this throughout decades and decades and decades, I got, I, I tilt my hat to him. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? He's, he's definitely one of the greatest for sure. But again, my message to anybody listening to the podcast, you know, you gotta go with your dreams and you know, your abilities are like, they ain't no right way to do this. It ain't no right path. It ain't no beeline, it ain't none of that. You gotta stick with what you feel. And even when adversity comes, you got to deal with it head on because there's no telling what's on the other side of that. Mm. Because throughout my whole career, every idea that I had that I knew in my heart mm. that I would truly get accomplished and would change my life. Mm. Somebody told me it would never happen. It was the wrong thing to do mm. from putting out G's Up, streets Watching, to giving away Trapper Die mm. with the DVD to Thug Motivation being a classic when people just thought it was just going to be a... Flash in the pan to getting features that you don't get when you're from the South and you're not established just quite yet. Like you're not in that top five uh, rappers or uh, people that's doing what they do. And even like my marketing strategy of giving away CDs and doing things unorthodox that people don't see a monetary gain in. So they don't feel like it's going to work and just going with your heart because right now I can say, Again, G's up, Streets watching, Trap or Die was the best decision I've made in my life. Because probably without that, I probably wouldn't even be sitting on the sofa. I'd probably be <laughs> with everybody else, you know mm. what I'm saying? Trying to figure out life. But I stuck to my guns and, and I kept it solid. And I want to salute you for, you know, rocking with me the whole time and, and putting your best foot forward and, and doing what you do best, man, and talking your shit. 'Cause you know, that dynamic duo, they can't fuck with it, bro. Nah, they can't. They can't it, was, it was the blueprint. Yeah. We we need to do a documentary goddamn uh yeah. uh Trap or die, goddamn. We gotta
0: figure this out. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> that, that, that's next. That's okay, next. Say less. <laughs> I, I appreciate you, my brother. you for life, for sure. We 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 still going. Yeah, we still going. The album
1: coming out, man. Yeah. You know, my guy. Album should be out, but <laughs> it ain't out yet. It's gonna be out. You know what it is. I'm on that thing, man. Long live Nipsey Hussle.
0: Long live. We got we got twenty years in, and another thirty of.
1: Yeah, we're only looking younger, but yeah. Yeah, and that's it that's it <laughs>
0: and like that we, we gone. gone this has been an audible original produced by Colabo Inc. Society hosted by DJ Drama featuring Jeezy Executive produced by Kenya Barris, DJ Drama, Wheezy, WTF, Lake, Show marson Audible executive producer, Joshua Poole. Produced by Roy Farrell, Kristen Alcala. Consulting producer, Jamie Nelson. Production was engineered by Alex Anderson and WTF Media Studios. Sound design and mixing, Michael Beliveau. Edited by Alex Anderson of WTF Media Studios. Edited by Jamie Nelson. Written by Dustin Smith. F.A. guy and Damilare Sanoiki. Original music by Don Cannon. Research by Dustin Smith. Talent booking by Marquetta Moore. Production lawyer, Eric Spiegelman. Production accountant, Kristen Johnson. Production assistants, Devin Kruger. Victoria Larte. Tiana Johnson. Head of Audible Studios, Zola Mashariki. Executive Vice President, Head of U.S. Content, Rachel Giazza. Copyright 2023 by Kalaba Productions, Inc. Sound recording copyright 2023 by Audible Originals, LLC.